throughout the month of October, we are reflecting on five reasons why to evangelize, why to share our faith. The whole church takes the month of October to recover the missionary seal and the sending to share our faith. The first Sunday, we started reflecting about the transformative power of the new life of the gospel. We said that the new life, Jesus, is the most influential factor in the life of the person. And that's why the greatest act of love is to share Jesus with somebody else. Two weeks ago, we reflect about how the gospel leads to human flourishment, how Jesus teaches the art of how to live, how to be a flourishing human being. Whoever accepts Jesus is like a vine that produces fruit. And last Sunday, we explored the connection between the mission and eternal life. When we think about the eternal <clears throat> consequences of our decisions, we are urged to invite others to that feast, that banquet that last Sunday's gospel was talking about. On this fourth Sunday of October, we move forward and explore a fourth reason why to evangelize, and that is that the gospel has the power to transform the culture. For 2,000 years, the church has seen how the new life in Christ has the power not only to transform an individual, but the whole culture, little by little, year after year. Today's gospel, we see that the Pharisees and Herod's followers asked Jesus a very controversial question. Should a Jew who was under Roman occupation pay the tax to Caesar or not? It is a more complex issue that we might think or we may think at first glance, because if he said no, Jesus could be accused of rebellion against the empire. If he said yes, he could be easily be seen as an enemy of his own people of Israel. But when both parties thought that they had locked up Jesus, he found a way out. Repay to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and to God what belongs to God. This affirmation has multiple meanings. The first and most obvious is that Jesus is distinguishing between God's real and secular power. We should repay Caesar because the image of the coin is his. A Christian should be a good citizen. A couple of years ago, one of our priests from the St. John Society, he was living in one of our missionary houses in Italy, in Chieri, two hours west from Rome, and he was uh, traveling to pick up a visiting priest. He was driving, and to be honest, he was a bit late. So he was running fast and beyond the speed limit when suddenly he got pulled over by a cop, a carabinieri are called, the, the policemen in Rome. And officers in Italy, they can really recognize a Catholic priest. So when he was pulled over, <clears throat> the officer approaches the car and he was surprised. He said, hey, oh, Father, I was not expecting to see a, a priest driving so fast, he said. Did you not notice that you were driving beyond the speed limit? And the priest told me, he was honest. He said, you're right. But let me tell you the truth. I'm in a rush because another priest is about to 
arrived to Rome and he's visiting and I need to get to the airport. Have mercy, he said to, to the officer. I promise I will drive slower. But at this point, the officer looked seriously to the priest and he said, Father, repay to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. <laughs> Unfortunately, this officer was Catholic. He knew today's gospel. And imagine after the priest from St. John's side, he heard that response, he said, you are right, I will pay that ticket. So this is the first and most basic way a Christian engages in the broader culture is by being a good citizen. But there's more than this. Because when we see that our culture has driven away from God, we realize it's not enough to be good citizens. Good citizens help, but they cannot transform a culture. So the broader question tonight is, how's that? How does a disciple engages with the broader culture? And especially when it's a post-Christian culture, what is the response of faith of someone that knows Jesus in the presence of a culture that is not worshiping Christ? We cannot avoid taking a stand. And when we see the church history, we see that whenever the church faced an abyss between faith and the predominant culture, it experienced two temptations, either to seclude itself from the world or to conform to the world. To seclude itself from the world would be to develop, we could call it a rigoristic attitude of, to faith and moral life. And some trends today in the church, they tend to become a bit sectarian and abandon this task of engaging and confronting the wider culture with the gospel. The problem of this reaction, and we can understand why it happens, is that it entails losing faith and hope in the power of the gospel. Let's remember that parable that Jesus speaks of the gradual process of transformation. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Of course, let's not be naive. Cultural change is complex, it's gradual, it happens in a long term. But to choose to seclude would be to say, the flower is so corrupt that no matter what leaven or how good the leaven is, it won't change. The second temptation would be, instead of secluding, to conform with the world. Some people in the church think this way. If there are many people complaining about doctrines, about disciplines, about aspects of our moral vision that don't square easily with our prevailing culture, let us adjust. Let us do away with the difficult aspects so as in order to keep people coming. Well, tonight I will argue that the hope for the church, the power of the church and for the world is a third option. It's a missionary option. The most urgent response is not to seclude, not to conform, but to evangelize. Repay to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and to God what belongs to God, says Jesus. To evangelize, to share our faith from this perspective, is to encouraging others to give to God 
what belongs to God. It's a way of renouncing to indifference, both secluding ourselves or conforming to the world could lead us to spiritual apathy, to leave our culture where it is. Both extreme positions leave the culture as it is. But we are called to evangelize because we believe that the transformation goes from the inside out. The transformation of the culture starts with the transformation of a single person. When we see the church history, the church never grows by mass movement. It moves forward one soul at a time as each individual catches a fire and pays it forward and passes it to the next one and they're grafted into the church. That's why the importance is not found in numbers but in the intensity of the flame of the spirit. And we have seen in our apostolic experience that the transformation of a family begins with transformation of one single person. The transformation of a workplace begins with the transformation of one somebody working there. The transformation of a team, of a class, starts with a single conversion. And the good news is that as a church, we have seen a similar context before. Christianity, if we recall, was founded in the midst of the Roman culture. Nobody could anticipate when we see church history that a bunch of fishermen would impact such a culture that had such a sharp identity. John Henry Newman, when he reflects about how the church always seems in disadvantage to engage to the broader culture, he describes, he tries to imagine how it was for Peter to first enter to Rome, this fisherman from Galilee entering to this huge city. And it's an amazing description. He says, in such a time as this, the prince of the apostles, the first pope, advanced towards Rome, where under a divine guidance, he was to fix his seat. He toiled along the stately road which led him straight onwards to the capital of the world. He met throngs of the idle and the busy, of strangers and natives who peopled the interminable, interminable suburb. He passed under the high gate and wandered on amid marble palaces and columned temples. He met processions of hidden priests and ministers in honor, in honor to, of their idols. He met the wealthy lady born on, on her litter by her slaves. He met the stern legionnaires who had been the massive iron harmers of the whole earth. He met the anxious politician with his ready man of business at his side to prompt him on his canvas for popularity. He met the orator returning home from a successful pleading with his young admirers and his grateful and hopeful clients. He saw about him nothing but tokens of a vigorous power grown up into a definitive establishment, form and mature in its religion, in its laws, in its civil traditions, its imperial extension throughout the history of many centuries. He's saying Peter found what it seemed like an eternal empire, something that would never pass away. And Newman finishes. And what was he but a poor, feeble, 
aged stranger in nothing different from the multitude of men, an Egyptian or a Chaldean or perhaps a Jew, some Eastern or other, as passersby would guess according to their knowledge of humankind, cursely looking at him, and look what he says, without the shadow of a thought that this man was destined then to start an age of religious sovereignty in which they might spend their own hidden times twice over and not see its end. Isn't it hopeful, this description? The Roman culture with its institutions, if you've seen the movie Gladiator, we can imagine that scene, its gods, its splendor, they seemed eternal, but they weren't. Because that day, a man of God, a son of God, was entering in that city. They seem eternal, but they were not. But here was Peter, a simple fisherman, as leavened in the flower, starting a process that one day would inaugurate a religion, as human says, that would last, would last twice over and never see its end. So two takeaways for this week. Number one, let's be patient. The transformation of a culture, of a family, of your workplace, begins with the transformation of the individual, but takes time. Be patient, not despair. Secondly, let's be authentic. Nothing impacts a culture more than a living witness. The Roman culture, which early held the Christian movement in this age, was greatly impressed by the courage of the martyrs. They were impressed by how the Christians would take care of the poor. They were impressed by the purity of their life. They had never seen something before. And so these witnesses to the faith that it seemed little compared with this huge empire, they were building, they were preparing for an eventual conversion of the culture. This is the history of evangelization, where a genuine follower of Christ has a deeper, more profound impact than 10,000 lukewarm disciples. So this week, I encourage you, let's not just be good citizens. Let us give our culture what it really needs, Jesus Christ.